According to His promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the Scriptures. Join me this morning, if you would, in Proverbs chapter 15. Proverbs 15, we're in the bottom half of the chapter, I think. We're headed down to, uh, yeah, we're in verse 19, and and there's only uh, 33 verses, so yeah, it's more than halfway through the chapter. Before we begin, let's take a moment for silent prayer, calling upon our Father in His faithfulness to set aside our distractions, to humble us, to bless our study, shall we pray? Almighty Father, we do come before you this morning, thankful for your grace and truth, thankful for your blessings, rejoicing in the uh, truth of the Word of God, and we call upon your faithfulness to open the eyes of our understanding and to lead us in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, and so uh, we've got the better than, better than that we've been dealing with in verses uh, 16 and 17, and I think we've wrapped those up uh, last week. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and turmoil with it. Better is a dish of vegetables where love is than a fattened ox served with hatred. And so we dealt with those in verse uh, point 12 of the outline. These are the second and third of the 19 better than proverbial contrasts. And I won't go back into those again. And we looked at all those a week ago. The financial spectrum is diminished in priority when juxtaposed with the fear of the Lord. If you don't have the fear of the Lord, if you don't have, I mean, minus that, without a Christian walk under biblical teaching, all the money in the world is useless. What are you really doing? And uh, likewise, the, uh, the inferiority versus superiority of meat versus vegetables, um, all things being equal, all things being equal, one is better than the other, but... If, in fact, uh, there's a hatred issue at work here, then uh, go with the vegetables because uh, love trumps hate in the uh, biblical sense here. All right? That takes us then to hedges. And I've been waiting for this. This has <laughs> kind of been a, a hilarious thing to me. The way of the lazy is as a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a highway. And so I wanted to share with you one of my greatest Scrabble victories ever was from a year ago. Because you have hedge and then you have highway in the poetry of verse 19. The way of the lazy is as a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a highway. And so that's the contrast. Hedges on the one hand, highway on the other hand. And we have idioms uh, in that regard as well, like highways go out to the highways and the hedges. There's different things. Well, a year ago, I was in New Orleans playing in the North American Scrabble Championship, and I got a picture for you. So this was the board. This was early in the tournament, opening day, like game two or game three, I think, out of 31 games that you have to play. And I opened with Pudu across the middle, P-U-D-U, because I had a terrible draw. It was awful. And I had a bunch of U's, or two U's, so I said, i got to get rid of those. So I played Pudu. It was a basic little uh, modest play. But then my opponent dropped a bingo on it from the very top, erotized, E-R-O-T-I-Z-E-D, erotized, which is valid, and scored a ton of points. And uh, 
But I was happy to see that E up there at the top because as soon as she put that E up there at the top, I put the H next to it and went across the top with Hedgeway. And Hedgeway was 238 points. It was a monster play. Because the, uh, if you don't know how Scrabble works, that middle space there is a red one like that. And it's, so that's a triple word score. And then the one here in the corner is also a triple word score. And so you add up all the, all the uh, points for Hedgeway, multiply it times three, multiply it times three again. It's called a triple-triple. And then after you multiply it times nine, basically, then you add 50 points, which is your bingo bonus. You always get a 50-point bonus when you play all seven of your tiles. And so Hedgeway was a monster, monster play. And uh, I, I played it on there and, and uh, was just happy to add it all up and announce my score. And she was amazed. And uh, she uh, was writing down the score and she said, man, I... And then she was kind of wondering if maybe she played, you know, she should have played something besides erotized and in, in that. Anyway, we learned later, when the game was over, we learned later that my play was a phony. That, that hedgeway is not a valid word. <laughs> that hedgeway, uh, it, so she could have said challenge. Uh, we would have gone over to the challenge computer where they adjudicate whether plays are valid or invalid. And uh, had she done that, then I would have lost my turn. Uh, Hedgeway would have come off, uh, goodbye, 238 points, and, uh, and then I lose my turn and she gets to go again. In which case, she would have been in a very good spot having that E right there, and she could have hung something huge up there and scored a lot of points. But as it was, uh, she did not, and so Hedgeway stayed on the board. And uh, ever since then, by the way, they had an award ceremony on Wednesday at the close of the tournament, and um, <laughs> I was sitting at a table with some, some players I didn't know very well, and one of them was a player from Waco, and he started to tell the Hedgeway story. And he didn't know who I was, and, and I didn't really know who he was until then, but and so he starts to tell this story. And I stopped him. I said, wait a minute, you're talking about that game against Heidi, right? And he goes, yeah, yeah. And he said, I said, well, that was me. And he goes, and then he stopped. He said, oh, you're Hedgeway? <laughs> so now you know that uh, in Scrabble circles, um, I have a nickname. And, the, and my nickname is Hedgeway, yeah. And so sometimes they'll say, hey, Hedgeway, and you get named that. Anyway, so that leads us to Proverbs, because we have a hedge, a hedgeway, and a highway. And you don't want to be on the hedge, you want to be on the highway. And that's the, uh, the aspect there. All right. So, hedges. Hedges are interesting, all right, because there's two things to say about hedges, and they're kind of the opposite. Hedges hinder progress, which is the emphasis of what we see here. Hedges will hinder progress, but also can provide a refuge. Hedges can also provide a refuge. And so I think both aspects are in view, and rarely do do both come into view in the same passage, uh, although I guess you could think of them that way. Um, But the Bible will use hedges in two widely different ways, and that's that's important to take note of. A lot of Bible students uh, fail when they get locked into a single way of thinking 
and they're dealing with an issue that you can't deal with in a single way of thinking. Uh, for example, oil. A lot of times oil, through Old Testament, New Testament, oil is representative of the Holy Spirit. And very frequently oil is representative of the Holy Spirit. And when it's used symbolically, when it's used in, in a figure or in metaphor, uh, it's pretty well unanimous that anywhere oil is, you're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit, right? And so that's valid. And there's other, there's other illustrations like that where, where something, a leaven for example, leaven is almost always exclusively a negative thing, almost always exclusively a thing of sin. That it represents sin and how it spreads and how it contaminates. And, uh, and so you have the issues there. Um, however, you can't do that with everything. You can't do that with hedges. You can't do that with other things because uh, many things will have two main uses or three main uses or several ways that they're used. They're not, they're not exclusively identified with a particular symbolic aspect. And so don't make the mistake when you are looking at hedges to think they're always a negative thing. Sometimes they can be a positive thing. And, uh, and, I, and I guess it just depends on what side of the hedge you're on. <laughs> What side of the hedge you're on and who's on the other side trying to get to you? Or uh, what's on the other side that you're trying to get to? And, uh, and the whole idea there is the hedge provides the obstacle. And that uh, is a negative thing if you're trying to get through it. But it's a positive thing if Satan's trying to get through it to get to you. Because uh, Job was hedged about. And that's, uh, that's an important concept I think as it relates to, to that. So in the poetry here we see it um, that uh, the way of the lazy is as a hedge of thorns. And so it provides, it's like, it's as, as if there was a hedge there and the lazy person can use that as an excuse and say, oh, you know, I'd be glad to go over there and do that, but, you know, I can't. You know, I can't, the, the hedge is in the way. I can't get, I can't get through the hedge. And so the, the hedge is as the lazy, it's just a, an easy way for the, the lazy guys, like when he says there's a lion in the streets, right? Where? I don't see a lion, but he tells you there's a lion in the streets, so I'm going to stay at home, and uh, that's, my, that's my calling in sick excuse, because uh, there's a lion in the streets. And there's other things that the, the sluggard will come up with to not go to work. Uh, other uses of this include Job 3.23 and Hosea 2.6. And uh, we'll take those out of order because I want to finish with Job. So let's look at Hosea on the way to Job. How about that? You say, well, if I'm in Proverbs, Hosea is not on the way to Job. Because Hosea is later and Job is earlier. All right, Hosea 2.6. And this is a passage of judgment, and this is um, a message to um, your brothers and your sisters, and it's with respect to their mother. Their mother is a faithless harlot. And um, in the, the metaphor of this, of this text, we understand this, uh, so contend with your mother, contend, for she is not my wife, I am not her husband, Right? This is when the husband and wife are fighting and they tell the child, will you tell your mother such and such? Or you tell your, hus- you tell your father such and such, right? Because she's not my wife, he's not my husband. You tell your mother. Anyway, contend with your mother, contend. 
For she is not my wife, I am not her husband. Let her put away her harlotry from her face and her adultery from between her breasts. Or I will strip her naked and expose her as on the day when she was born. Anyway, this is clearly, this is a uh, message of judgment. Verse 4, I will have no compassion on her children. They are on her children. They are children of harlotry. Notice he doesn't claim them. They're not my children. I don't know who the father is. She's a harlot. They're not my children. And that's the the disavowal of the bastard and the, the things there. For their mother has played the harlot. She who conceived them has acted shamefully. And uh, for she said, I will go after my lovers who gave me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. And uh, why was she going after them to give her all those things? Her husband was giving her all those things and would have given her many, many things more. Therefore, behold, I will hedge up her way with thorns. I will build a wall against her so that she cannot find her paths. And uh, this is a, a description of divine judgment upon a life of, uh, uh, you know, a prodigal life, a life of, of dissipation. And it, it matches the Proverbs usage of hedges in that it hinders progress. And that God, while He honors volition and while He, um, while He will permit uh, us to exercise negative volition and get involved in all kinds of sin and foolishness, he also sometimes very graciously puts hedges in the way to limit the damage that we do, uh, to mitigate the wrath that we would otherwise be subject to, and uh, otherwise just to box us in and get us so frustrated that maybe we wake up and say, you know what, I'm kind of, I'm kind of useless here. What am I doing? Right? So we find ourselves hedged about, and we find ourselves in this position, and and uh, we're not getting anywhere. That's because the hedges are all around. And, and if that's the case, thank God that He loves you enough to, uh, to not just let you go, right? That He loves you enough to put those hedges in there and to, to establish some boundaries that, uh, that will mitigate what you would otherwise do with your destructive negative volition. Nevertheless, I will build uh, a hedge. I will hedge up her way with thorns. I will build a wall against her so that she cannot find her paths. And, uh, you know, I think there's a progression in that metaphor. When you're going from a hedge of thorns, it's one thing, but when it becomes a full wall, that's, uh, that's pretty permanent. All right. Anyway, then it goes on. She will pursue her lovers, but she will not overtake them. She will seek them, but will not find them. Then she will say, I will go back to my first husband, for it was better for me then than now. And uh, again, it's a wake-up call. It's something that causes this harlot to realize that uh, she's, been, uh, she's been out of the will of God in all of this. So that's the message of Hosea. It's not a pleasant message, but that's what that's all about. Hedges hinder progress. And so if God has put a hedge in your way, you might wake up and realize, wow, why is God doing that? Because uh, because I'm not living out Proverbs. I'm not, uh, I'm not fulfilling in all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will direct your steps. He will make your path straight. If He's not making your path straight, probably you're not acknowledging Him in all your ways. And so if He's putting a hedge there, that's a wake-up call to say, wait a minute, why am I, why am I busting through all these thorns? This hurts. <laughs> you know, It really hurts if you're forcing your way through a, a hedge of thorns. Why are you doing that? Why are you insisting on doing that? All right, which takes us now to Job, Job 3.23. And, uh, and then that's our third example of hedges hinder progress. And then we can start seeing the positive examples. Job 3.23. 
Esther, Job, Psalms. Here we go. And so this is in the process of Job's lament. And uh, Job opens his mouth and curses the day of his birth. So uh, that's not good. (laughs) Uh, Job said, let the day perish on which I was to be born. The night which said a boy is conceived. It's not just the day he was born, the night that his parents conceived him. He's going to curse that night too. Cursing day and night. And uh, better off if I'd have never been born. The miscarriage has a better life than me. Um, Let darkness seize it. As for that night, let darkness seize us, verse 6. Let it not rejoice among the days of the year. Let it not come into the number of the months. Let's just rip that date off the calendar. (laughs) My conception night. Just take it off the calendar. I don't even want it on there anymore. Behold, let that night be barren. Let no joyful shout enter into it. Then uh, why? Because, you know, why should that joyful shout happen? That's That's a marital ecstasy there. Why should, why should uh, my parents have fun when I'm, uh, my life is so miserable? And um, it did not shut the opening of my mother's womb in verse 10 or hide trouble from my eyes. Why did I not die at birth, come forth from the womb and expire? I would have been better off just dying in, in childbirth. Why did the knees receive me, and why the breast that I should suck? For now I would have lain down and been quiet. I would have slept then. I would have been at rest. That would have been, that would have been good. He kind of longs for that. So this is, uh, this is uh, not, not a good chapter. All right, uh, verse 16. Like a miscarriage which is discarded, I would not be as infants that never saw light. Longing for uh, the good old days. Verse 20, why is light given to him who suffers and life to the bitter of soul? Why did I wake up again today? Why did I see another day? Who long for death, but there is none, and dig for it more than for hidden treasures, who rejoice greatly and exult when they find the grave. Why is light given to a man whose way is hidden and whom God has hedged in? That's the hedge we're looking at, all right? Just like in Proverbs 15, just like in Hosea 2, God's done this to me. God's put this hedge there. I can't get out. God hates me. God's against everything I do. No matter what I try, every direction I turn, God put a hedge there. Okay? That's total, total negativity. Okay? It's also not true in Job's case. (laughs) Job is suffering under undeserved suffering. He didn't do a thing to deserve any of this. All right? But he's expressing, in this lament, he's expressing the anguish of, uh, of his soul, as miserable as that is. All right, so hedges, uh, hedges will hinder progress, but also hedges can provide a refuge, and God will use them also for his good pleasure, such as just a couple chapters earlier in Job chapter 1. And so ask yourself, I mean, if there's a hedge there, ask yourself, why is it there? Is it there to, to discipline me or is it there to protect me? Is it, why did God put that hedge there? Why are there boundaries? What's the purpose in the boundary? And so um, this is the beginning of the book, and we're familiar with this. 
as uh, Job, a man from the land of Uz whose name was Job. The man was blameless, upright, fearing God, turning away from evil. And um, yeah, I've checked the Hebrew. There are no typos. It's not a mistake. This is not. I've been looking for Bob in the Bible, and this is this is close, but it's not Bob. It's it's Job. Now, um, while all this is going on on Earth, Job has got great wealth. He's got a huge family. He has spiritual leadership of his family. His sons, he's got married sons that have houses of their own, and they would take turns. You know, if you have seven sons, then just pick a day of the week and uh, have a have a party at each boy's house each day of the week. And so uh, his, verse 4 says, his sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And uh, when the days of feasting had completed their cycle, Job would send and consecrate them. So what is that? When the days of feasting had completed their cycle on the seventh day, Job has an orientation to Sabbath and principles there. He would consecrate them, uh, rising up early in the morning and offering burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, perhaps my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. This is why I think that husbands, fathers, parents, I think you have a role in sacrificial confession. You have a role in in intercessory confession, intercessory prayers. You have a role to bless your wife, to bless your children, to bless your flock, to bless anyone that's under your spiritual um, supervision. Thus Job did continue. While all that's going on on earth, the angels are meeting up in heaven. And so there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came among them. Angels are supposed to be patrolling the earth and watching and they come back and they report. And, and God will quiz them and God will ask them, what have you seen? What have you learned? What does this teach you? What does this demonstrate regarding my character, my integrity, my, my uh, grace? And, uh, and it's interesting, it's a scheduled day. It happens on a periodic basis, whatever basis that is. And they, they're there by faith and Satan's crashing the party. Satan also came among them. Not like he belonged there, but he put himself there. So the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Now of all the people God God could have mentioned, whatever the population was of planet earth at this point, okay, this is about seven generations from the flood, I'm thinking, okay? This is pre-Abraham. I'm I'm guessing this is about two generations pre-Abraham. And so, you know, Ham, Shem, and Japheth have been busy and they've had children and they've had children. We've got generations now. The earth is, uh, is being filled. But of all the people that God could have mentioned, and out of all the people that Job could have been wanting to attack, um, Job is, is, is the one. Have you considered my servant Job? He is the most spiritually mature believer on the planet. There is no one else like him. That's not my opinion, that's God's statement. And that's huge because Noah's still alive, Shem is still alive. God is the God of Shem, but here's Job, and based on his intimacy with the Lord and his faith and his walk, he is, uh, he is unmatched in that generation. And so Satan answered the Lord, and this is telling. <laughs> 
Uh, does Job fear God for nothing? Yeah, he doesn't say, uh, Job who? Who are you talking about? You know, don't know what you're talking about. He knows who God's talking about because, and God knows that he knows because he's been, he's been doing the recon, he's been doing the research. He's been trying to get to Job for weeks, for months, for years even, who knows. Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? <laughs> That's a lot of detail. The hedge is around Job, the hedge is around Mrs. Job, the hedge is around seven sons and three daughters. The hedge is about all that he has, him and his house, okay? That's not the physical construction house, that's the, the house of Job, that's the descendants, that's the wife, the slaves, the children, the descendants, the property. You know, that's the house of, of Job. All that he has on every side. On every side. I tried the front door, I tried the back door, I tried the left, the right, up, down, you know. Every side. It's a complete encirclement here of this hedge. And as he confesses this, in his complaint, Joe, uh, Satan is actually admitting that he's been, he's been after Job for a long, long time. That, that Job's been on his target list. Job has been you know, public enemy number one for, uh, for Satan. And, and just keep that in mind. Satan has his hit list, he has his targets, and his targets will match up with God's list of who's, who's thriving, who's doing well in, the, in their Christian walk. And so it's a hedge, and thank God for that hedge. Because God's hedge is, is uh, such that Satan can't get through it. The angelic conflict can't touch you unless God gives permission. That's, uh, that's an absolute guarantee. So, um, Job then, or uh, Satan puts God to the test and says, uh, um, you have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land, but put forth your hand now, stretch forth your hand now. We're going to look at this. I don't remember if I put this in my study or not. This reaching forth is part of what we're going to see in Philippians 3 as we reach forward to what lies ahead. Stretch forth your hand now and touch all that he has. He will surely curse you to your face. And so the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power, only do not put forth your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. So God moved the hedge. God brought the hedge in and just surrounded Job and said, all right, everything else that he has you can touch, but just not him. So Satan went and killed all ten children and didn't kill the wife. All right. Anyway, we're familiar with that. And then another day came. In chapter 2, again there was a day. So whatever that interval it is, I don't know, how often do angels report? Is it once a week, once a month, once a year? What, I don't know. But periodically those reports come in. And whatever that interval is, whatever that schedule is, from one to the next, it didn't take long, that one billing cycle, Satan went and did all his mischief in that one reporting period. And all that damage was done. All ten kids were killed, all that was done. Before the next, uh, before the next uh, reporting period. So then, chapter two, when again there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, "From where have you come from?" And Satan answered the Lord, "From roaming about on the earth and walking around on it." And the Lord said to Satan, "Have you considered my servant Job?" 
See, this lesson's not done. Satan's lesson isn't done yet, the elect angel's lesson isn't done yet, and Job's lesson isn't done yet. Have you considered my servant Job, for there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. And by the way, Satan made the prediction, he uttered the prophecy that if God reached out his hand, Job would curse him. And uh, at the end of chapter 1, Job didn't curse him, Job blessed him. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job did not curse. Satan is a false prophet. And now God gets to rub it in when he says, have you considered my servant Job? He didn't curse me, did he? He blessed me. There was no one like him. Fearing God, turning away from evil. He still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to ruin him without cause. Now notice, God takes ownership of what happens. He says, I did this. You incited me to ruin him without cause. I stretched out my hand, even though it was through the agency of Satan and the fallen angels. God still has ultimate sovereignty. He still has ultimate uh, uh, culpability for what he directs and for what he permits. So if he permits angelic conflict in your life, just realize God's still in charge and he's permitting it for his own reasons, not Satan's reasons. And uh, whatever the results are, whatever Satan wants the results to be, causing a believer to curse God, God will bring about his good results. When he gives permission, he doesn't give permission for, the, for Satan's reasons. He gives permission for his own reasons. And, uh, and Satan's purposes get thwarted all the time. God's purpose is never thwarted. And even though it's not a good thing, it works together for good. Are we clear on this? When God permits Satan to do this. And so what he does now is he moves the hedge. Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin, yes, all that a man has he will give for his life. However, put forth your hand now, stretch forth your hand now, and touch his bone and his flesh, he will curse you to your face. So the Lord said to Satan, behold, he is in your power, only spare his life. And so that hedge got moved a second time. The hedge got, first of all, it got moved uh, away from his wife and kids, it got centered just on him. Now it's lowered even more. It still surrounds him, but it doesn't, it's not complete because he can affect his body. He just can't take his physical life. Anyway, these are the things for hedges. And God is in charge of them. And hedges can provide a refuge. And where they get positioned and how, how, how high they are, how much uh, of an attack can get through, uh, mitigating the damage that gets done, all of that is God's sovereignty. All of that is God's absolute provision. And so if you're shepherding your flock or you're shepherding your children or your wife or your grandkids or whatever it is, that, uh, that you're praying to maintain that hedge. That hedge gets maintained by prayer. And you're praying to the Lord to maintain that hedge and you're asking God to keep that hedge about. Keep that hedge about. You know, I've got daughters of, of a marriageable age, so keep that hedge maintained, okay? Build it thick, build it high. <laughs> Put it around on every side. And then when, when the, the, the designed husband comes about, then you can open the hedge just a little bit <laughs> so that he can meet her and she can meet him and we'll allow a, a thing there. All right. Are we clear on hedges? So the imagery is sometimes negative but sometimes positive. And really it's because of the same reason they're hard to get through. And so they're hard to get through, so you want a protective hedge that keeps Satan from coming at you. 
but they're hard to get through, so you don't want God to put one in your path if he's got you under divine discipline. That's the, that's the thing there. All right, Psalm 80, another example of this. Psalm 80, and it's an example of a positive way, but it's, it becomes a problem when God takes it away, <clears throat> when he lowers your hedge, or when he removes it. And it says, okay, you're done. No more hedge. And um, in Psalm 80, uh, there's where I want to pick up on this. How long will you be angry? So in verse 1, oh, give ear, shepherd of Israel. If it seems like God's not listening, ask yourself, why does it seem like God's not listening? Oh God, restore us. Cause your face to shine upon us and we will be saved. If you need to be restored, you're probably in carnality. It's probably why he's not listening. He's waiting for confession. Oh Lord, God of hosts, how long will you be angry with the prayer of your people? You have fed them with the bread of tears. You have made them to drink tears in large measure. You make us an object of contention to our neighbors and our enemies laugh among themselves. O God of hosts, restore us and cause your face to shine upon us and we will be saved. It's a good confession chapter. Then verse 8, you removed a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground before it and it took deep root and filled the land. What do you think this is about? This is about Moses and the Exodus, right? This is about taking the Jewish people out of Egypt. He's using a metaphor to teach this. <coughs> it took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shadow, its cedars, the cedars of God with its boughs. It was, and it was sending out its branches to the sea, its shoots to the river. Why have you broken down its hedges so that all who pass that way pick its fruit? A boar from the forest eats its way eats it away, and whatever moves in the field feeds on it. O God of hosts, turn again now, we beseech you. Look down from heaven and see and take care of this vine. So anyway, you can read through that, but clearly the hedge is designed to be protective. The hedge is there for a reason. You're keeping the critters away, you're keeping the, the, the boars away and, and other things. And when God himself breaks that hedge down, it's like it's just open season, you know? Here you go. And, uh, and there you have it. Hedges should be protective. Isaiah 5.5, 5, the other example of this. <coughs> Parable of the vineyard. Let me sing now for my well-beloved a song of my beloved concerning his vineyard. My well-beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hill. He dug it all around, removed its stones, and planted it with the choicest vine. And he built a tower in the middle of it, and also hewed out a wine vat in it. Then he expected it to produce good grapes, but it produced only worthless ones. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to uh, to do for my vineyard than I have not done to it? Why, when I expected it to produce good grapes, did it produce worthless ones? So, you know, whose fault is it? He's done everything necessary. 
It's like with our salvation. He's done everything necessary. He, he paid the price. He removed our sin. He did everything necessary for us to be saved and for us to walk the Christian way of life. And when we don't walk the Christian way of life, when we don't abide in Christ and bear fruit, is that because He's let us down? No, not at all. He has done everything necessary. Why are we bearing the worthless fruit? So now let me tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it will be consumed. I will break down its wall and it will become trampled ground. I will lay it waste. It will not be pruned or hoed, but briars and thorns will come up. I will also charge the clouds to rain no rain on it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the men of Judah his delightful plant. Thus he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, a cry of distress. So there too, just like Psalm 80, when the hedge is removed, God, that's an indicator that God is giving it over. It's the hand of God's judgment that he gives them over to the, to the mercy of ones without mercy. He gives them over to the uh, plundering of, uh, of some terrible things there. So anyway, it's good imagery. It's a good uh, thing to consider. It's a good uh, principle to consider in our prayer life as we consider what are the hedges that God has placed around America and are they still up? What are the hedges that God has placed around uh, Texas? The hedges He's placed around Austin, are they still up? Hedges He's placed around our home, our neighborhood, are they still up? Are those hedges gone? Are those hedges lower? Are those hedges thin? Are there thin spots in those hedges now where there's more and more of the, of the mayhem that seems to be wreaking its damage? See, And, uh, and pray for that. Pray that we'll be salt and light, that we'll be a benefit to our community, to our nation. All right, so that's hedges and highways. <clears throat> Verse 20, a wise son makes a father glad, but a foolish man despises his mother. We've had this before, this is a repeat. Why does he keep giving us messages over and over again? Haven't we learned this doctrine already? <laughs> Come on, get with it now, we've heard this already. Well, that's not how Proverbs works. Proverbs has a lot of redundancy. It has a lot of repetition. It has a lot of because we need it. Because these things we keep getting over and over and over again. And a timely reminder usually is a pretty good time for a reminder. Honoring parents does not stop when the child becomes an adult. <coughs> in fact, in the parental wisdom portion, uh, we had some some principles related to this, but more uh, are given in the personal and public wisdom section of the book. Starting in chapter 10 and going through chapter 25, uh, there's even another one after chapter 25 that comes in chapter 29. Uh, this, this principle of, uh, of how a child grows and how a child lives and whether the father and the mother are pleased with that or not. Uh, it comes up again and again and again and it, it's just as true for the adult son as it is for the juvenile for the uh, for the uh, youth. Honoring parents doesn't stop when the child becomes an adult. You know, and I've looked at it many times. Exodus twenty and verse twelve. I preached on this at uh, oh a number of funerals. I think Steve Arnold was one. Uh, there were others that I have preached this. Um, I forget now. I don't always do it, but if, especially if there's adult sons there, I say, look, you keep honoring your father. 
He's with the Lord now. He's not on earth anymore. You can't send him a Father's Day card every year, but you can honor him and keep honoring him. As now in your generation, you train up your boys as your dad trained up you. And uh, bring that forward. Okay? So, uh, children, honor your father and mother. That's the, uh, the comm- first commandment with a promise, and that's in Exodus 20. And you look at Exodus 20 and you see, wow, there's no expiration date there. <laughs> there's no expiration date there. So, uh, when I do leave home, when I leave father and mother, and I cleave to one another, and the two become one flesh, I enter into a new generation and a new responsibility and, and new field of service. But leaving father and mother is not uh, a license to dishonor them. You continue to honor them. You continue to honor them your entire life. All right. And so we have it here in Proverbs 15, 20. um, Many other places. Remember the point we made in chapter 10. I called it posterity prosperity. And I thought that was kind of clever. And I'm going to keep using that. Posterity prosperity. You know, the real wealth. You know, what's the legacy you're leaving for your children? What's the legacy you're leaving for your grandchildren? That, that true prosperity is children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, how many you have, to see your children, to see your descendants walking in the truth. There's no greater joy than to see your seed walking in the light. And so uh, in Proverbs 10, Proverbs 13, Proverbs 15, Proverbs 17, you have the verses here. Uh, there's only one standard, and that's the dichotomy of wisdom versus foolishness. That's the standard. It's like a pass-fail. You know? It's not graded on a curve. You're not you know, given A's, B's, C's. I learned the other day they don't give D's anymore. Um, A's, B's, C's. Used to be D's and then F's. Um, I'm so out of touch. The, uh, it's pass-fail. It's the fool or the wisdom. Walking in wisdom, walking in foolishness. And so uh, again and again we see it. In this contrast, a wise son makes a father glad, but a foolish man despises his mother. Take the poetry, take both halves of the verse and crisscross it, obviously. The mother can be applied in verse 20. The, uh, son, the father can be applied in the, in the second half. We've discussed this many, many times in Hebrew poetry. There's the A portion and the B portion. And typically you can complete each half with the other half just as, uh, as validly. So a wise son makes a father glad, also his mother. A foolish man despises his mother, also his father. Those are, uh, those are fully true statements as per this poetry. And uh, this is the, uh, the aspect of this. Is my son wise? Is my son foolish? I don't care if he's a lawyer, he's a doctor, he's a truck driver, he's a, he's a whatever. Okay? Occupations that are highly, not to, not to besmirch truck drivers, I apologize. Yeah, just saying there's some, there's some occupations, you know, a ditch digger, whatever. Uh, think of the, the lowliest of occupations. And uh, I don't care what my kids grow up doing. If they're under teaching, if they're in the Word of God, if they're running with endurance the race that's set before them, it matters not to me what secular employment they have for, for uh, those are all the extra things, okay? Proverbs 10, verse 1 and verse 5. We've taught this already so we don't have to spend a ton of time on it, but a wise son makes a father glad and a mother, but a foolish son is a grief 
to his mother and his father. And it's the standard, that's the criteria, it's the dichotomy of wisdom versus foolishness. And on the one hand, you can have a tremendous posterity prosperity or a posterity uh, adversity or, or, or indebtedness. Poverty, I guess, would be a lack of prosperity. Posterity, poverty. Verse 5 of the same chapter. He who gathers in summer is a son who acts wisely, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who acts shamefully. 13.1, a wise son accepts his father's discipline, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. 13.24, he who withholds his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. See, it's not an accident. Good sons don't become good sons accidentally. And uh, crummy sons don't become crummy sons accidentally. Uh, you know, parenting uh, has a lot to do with the with the product. <laughs> okay? And uh, aspects there. Don't love your children, don't discipline them. And then don't be surprised when you've got posterity poverty in the next generation and the generation after that. Because the next generation will be worse than this one. That's the nature of it. Um, 15, 20. That's where we are today. 17, 21. He who sires a fool does so to his sorrow, and the father of a fool has no joy. Kind of curious why they split that up, isn't it? All right, because maybe the father isn't who he thinks he is. (laughs) Or maybe the one who thinks he's the father is not the one that sired him. But in either case, there's an issue there. Uh, Verse 25, 17, 25. A foolish son is a grief to his father and bitterness to her who bore him. 19.13 A foolish son is a destruction to his father. And then uh, it's only the A part there because the B part does something different. Verse 26 He who assaults his father and drives his mother away is a shameful and disgraceful son. Parental abuse. Elderly abuse things to pray for. All right. Um, Chapter 20 and verse 20. He who curses his father or his mother, his lamp will go out in time of darkness. In fact, Exodus says he's worthy of death. Worthy of death. If 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 you curse father or mother, you are to be stoned under Mosaic law. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> so something else to pray over related to and a lot of these a lot of these get pretty urgent in my life since I'm dealing with my dad and his elder care and the things there where uh when you get cursed you have to bless in return you can't return cursing for cursing but anyway worthy of death the uh that's 2020 2315 and 16 and 24, and 25. Wow. A lot of verses in chapter 23. I just can't allow myself to read 15 without reading 13 and 14. (laughs) Um, Do not uh, hold back discipline from the child. Do not hold back discipline from the child. Although you strike him with a rod, he will not die. 
Okay? Spankings won't kill him. Spankings won't kill him. You shall strike him with a rod and rescue his soul from Sheol. There's a spiritual benefit to the corporal discipline. My son, if your heart is wise, my own heart will also be glad. My inmost being will rejoice when your lips speak what is right. That's verses 15 and 16. 24 and 25. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice, and he who sires a wise son will be glad in him. Let your father and your mother be glad. Let her rejoice who gave birth to you. Yeah, really, on your birthday you should be giving your mom presents. (laughs) Why do you get birthday presents? Your mom did all the work. All right. And then finally chapter 29, 29.3 and 29.15. A man who loves wisdom makes his father glad that he who keeps company with harlots wastes his wealth. 29.15, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. Yeah, that's that's our culture, isn't it? That is the permissive culture of the child gets his own way. I I was listening to a a podcast yesterday related to uh, churches, and it was uh, was in the Southern Baptist denomination, so it's not really our kind of churches, but it's still... It's curious to me because the the driving factor for why families choose the churches they choose, it's all about the children. It's all about finding a church that has a program that the children like. And if the children like it, that's where they go. And uh, even if the teaching's kind of crummy, well, the children like it, so this is where we're going to go. And it's a bottom-up inversion of the design instead of top-down, instead of the father being fed and ministering to his family, instead of the parents being fed, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's about the children being catered to and then the rest of it uh, after that. And I thought, well, <laughs> here we go. And then the podcast went on to talk about why when you lose your pastor you're going to lose a certain number of families and why you've got to keep the time to a minimum before you get uh, the new pastor in there. And uh, different things. Anyway, it was a Southern Baptist podcast and it was an interesting thing. But the child who gets his own way will bring shame to his mother. And it seems like it's a quick and easy way to get out of a problem. It seems like, you know, you're in the store and he's pitching a fit and he's screaming his head off and you're all embarrassed so you just give him what he wants. The problem is you're not training the children there. The, tr- the children are training you and uh, and the child trains you to get what he wants all the time by screaming, and uh, and then you're you're stuck with that. So that's the issue there. All right. Hedges hinder progress. Honoring parents doesn't stop when a child becomes an adult. Lacking heart. Our next verse. See, we're just blazing through these because we've taught them already. Folly is joy to him who lacks sense, but a man of understanding walks straight. Lacking sense is lacking heart. And we've seen it before, we're going to see it again. It's uh, the entertainment of idiocy. (laughs) Folly is joy to him who lacks sense. Why do you take joy in folly? What is it that you find funny and why? And it's curious, see, because God uses this. I think this relates to us. 
He who sits in the heavens laughs. God has a marvelous sense of humor. God finds a lot of things funny. And God shares what He finds funny. In His Word, there's a lot of comedy in in Scripture. And God has an attitude and God has a, a frame of reference for what He finds funny. But there are things He doesn't find funny. There are things that grieve Him. There are things that He's saddened by. And if we find those things funny, that's a problem. Sin isn't funny. But if we take delight in it, if we take pleasure in it, if, as this uh, verse says, folly is a joy to him, if, if you're just pursuing the opposite of wisdom, you're pursuing folly, and you take pleasure in that, it invokes the joy response, that's a problem. And so um, that's, that's a lacking, it says lacking sense, uh, or sometimes it's lacking understanding. There's, there's 11 uses of it in Proverbs. The idiom uh, literally is lacking heart. You have a heart deficiency. It is actually a heart condition. And uh, when your heart is supposed to be renewed day by day, when you're supposed to have the Word of God in your heart, thy word I have hid in my heart, when you're supposed to be tending your heart with God's wisdom, folly does damage. And the more you're pursuing that folly, the more heart damage you end up with. And, uh, and so we see these things here. All right, I'm going to, we've got six minutes, but I'm going to save this for next week. This lacking heart, we've seen it eight times before. It's going to appear two more times in Proverbs. In Proverbs 17 and Proverbs 24. These 11 instances, most of the time they're rendered lacking sense, like we have it here. In chapter 9 and 10 it's called lacking understanding. Well, I think lacking sense is fine there also. I don't know, understand the variety on that. Uh, but in all 11 cases, it really indicates heart damage. It indicates a heart deficiency. And it comes to the core of who we are. And so uh, I think those things uh, are going to be useful as well. We'll look at that, and then we'll look at verse 22 next week. We'll look at verses 23 and 24. Um, without consultation plans are frustrated but with many counselors they succeed why is it a mark of wisdom to get some counsel in uh, choices you're trying to make a man has joy in an apt answer and how delightful is a timely word that goes well with verse 22 when, uh, when that apt answer is just right on target alright well there's more to go we're almost done we're we're in the bottom half of this chapter. Seems like we've been in chapter 15 for ages now. But it is what it is. God's teaching us and we keep learning. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your truth. I do thank you, Father, for the blessing that we have to, to uh, search the Scriptures and see if these things are so. I pray, Father, as we, uh, con- as we leave here and consider the applications that must be made, that we would be uh, mindful of these hedgeway concepts that, Father, we would uh, be thankful for the protective hedges you place around us and our family and our flock and our nation. But we would also be mindful of any disciplinary hedges that you put in our path because, uh, because we're out of your will and we're carnal on, uh, on such occasions. So uh, bring these scriptures to our remembrance uh, long after uh, this class is completed today. Let us uh, dwell on these things uh, periodically uh, through the coming through the coming times that we can make the right applications in the right ways. And then Father, uh, also, 
Show us how to honor our father and mother. If they're still on earth, show us how to honor them. Show us how to bless them even when they curse us. Show them how to not uh, grow weary of doing good and, and losing heart. Show us how to, uh, to uh, run with endurance the race that's set before us. So uh, we thank you, Father, and we praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.